Yeah, okay, sure. I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> uh, how are you, anyway? How's it going? Frozen. Fine. <laughs> Go on. I do like how all three of us have green in the background, though. Oh, yeah, nice. Well, this is Bread and Barricades and Lame Podcast. I'm Nima Martin, your moderator, or should I say, award-winning playwright, Nima Martin. Yeah! <laughs> Winner of the Outstanding New Work Award. Um, that's it. I've just been saving that up for, like, being like, we need to record so I can, like, add my new title onto it. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> oh, sorry. I use they, them pronouns. I'm not sure I said it. I'm Grace. I also use they, them pronouns. Um, I am a multiple award-winning leather worker, but I haven't won an award <laughs> for a really long time. So <laughs> it's been at least a year, uh, maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, I am I am your... I'm here on this podcasting call. <laughs> I'm your quarantine boy with um, blistered hands because I spent all day scrubbing the floor like a proper like victorian yeah orphan boy <laughs> yeah it's literally yeah, yeah it's literally yeah. the life that i'm leading yeah uh this is stevie your primary and secondary researcher <laughs> wow yeah. solely because grace left the book here <laughs> of all the fucking times to leave the book at yours immediately before <laughs> lockdown was the best time to do it uh when i was eight i was a multiple award-winning dancer <laughs> but that's the last what? time that i won anything what dance wait have you told us this before was it ballet i did a bit of everything i've got a box of medals and okay. trophies so that my mom kept oh, but then i'm excellent. like when i was eight i had potential wow <laughs> we oh. never did a Miz dance along but we did an oliver one which is kind of adjacent <laughs> And I was one of the chimney boys. <laughs> Excellent. It's all come full circle. So you're a chimney boy. Grace is scrubbing the floors yeah. in the kitchen. And Nemo is a property owner. <laughs> oh, God. Please, no. I was going to mention what Nemo um, sent me in the post earlier today. Um, an animal crossing <laughs> that was deeply thrilling. It was a pair of, of sparkly green shorts which I immediately put on, and also a, a pig nose with just the note um, cop, which, <laughs> which I thought was very the tone of this podcast and deeply thrills me, honestly. Uh, usually when I, there's an in-game character creation thing, I like instantly make Javert, but I haven't this time, uh, so I guess that will change. You made one your own characters instead. Yeah, I know. No, well, no, I made um, uh, the characters from uh, Asian Pirate Musical. I was, and then I dedicated all of my time to making all of the untamed characters. Um. <laughs> I'm getting some lag. Do I pause when that happens, or do I keep talking, knowing that my cam, just, my thing will pick it up? Yeah, you just keep on going, and then we'll stop. <laughs> Because you're the person who's going to be talking so much today. Oh, no. it's, better if, it's better if you just power through. I don't know how you segue, Grace. Um, usually, I, usually I just wait for everyone to pause, mention the last thing that everyone was talking about that has absolutely nothing to do with what the film is, and then just go, anyway, talking of, and then just go. Talking of crunchy, Jean Valjean. <laughs> <laughs> he is crunchy. <laughs> And also, you smashed it. That was exactly the right tone. <laughs> Before I get into this, I think uh, we were talking about Grace's favourite thing while doing the reading is finding horse things and being like, that I think my version is just being unhappy with people's editing style. That <laughs> <laughs> the first sentence in, I was like, oh, sad face. I don't know if this is... I don't know if I'd have made that choice. That... <laughs> so before we actually get to the story, I want to get your opinion on was large and dimly lighted. Would you have gone with lit? Lit, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. good. 
Well, <laughs> Lighted comes up like six fucking times in the next three chapters, and every oh. time it got me. Maybe it's like a translation. It's like a specific... But the translator's not French. I don't know if that, why that makes a difference to me, but... Well, this is just a thing that I didn't like, so I took that energy into this reading. <laughs> Good, let's fight. Yeah, perfect. Excellent. Okay, lit or lighted. Have you ever wondered why we have both lit and lighted? You can use either, but which one depends on where you live, apparently. Oh, oh or where you um, live at, as it were. <laughs> so apparently you can enter a, a lighted hallway. American English is what lighted is. Well, you just showed your fucking hand, uh, (laughs) Norman Denny. I thought you were going to look at the spine of the book and go, you just showed your hand, Victor Hugo. (laughs) It was very close and I managed not to. (laughs) Anyway, the major themes of these three coming up. I'm going to do this like we're in a year seven class. So, at the top of the whiteboard, I'm writing the major themes of the coming three chapters. And those are appearance and reality and Victor Hugo's hot take on the court system. (laughs) Apparently, Norman Denny is British, so... Oh, so you didn't... You showed some hand. I don't know what hand it is, but I didn't like it. (laughs) These are, like, very thrilling chapters where it's basically the... um, Phoenix Wright courtroom scenes. He Victor Hugo seems to be drawing a lot of attention to kind of how shitty and unfair the court system is for especially poor people in these three chapters. Oh yeah, so we were at the point where Jean Valjean decides he is going to come in to the court room. Yeah. And that's that's where we're at. After so staring at that shiny, is, shiny doorknob for Oh god, yeah, there it is. Seize the door handle. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so we got a lot of like the drama of criminal trial, the uh, human proceeding that we call law, and the divine proceeding that is called justice. So that that feels a little bit like you know the same energy that we were talking about before with the um, uh, Jean Valjean and um, Javert as sort of like law and justice mm. Mm. if you know what I yes, mean that, like... I'm trying to think of the words that we used because <clears throat> for the last time that it came up we were like oh yeah those words and then I was like re-listening to an episode and they came up and I was like I need to remember the words yeah. that we used <laughs> and then providence and yeah providence and fate destiny I think predestined uh-huh. predestined yeah Oh, sorry. Any time that Victor Hugo provides us with a um, with a dichotomy, we're like, yes, one is, is Jean Valjean and one is Javert. They're good. <laughs> we we analysed it. We're good. not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's basically, I think, what these three chapters must be then. Because it does end with Jean Valjean coming in and getting a shit ton of religious imagery being like, everyone look at me, I'm sparkly and glowing and what I say is true even though I'm not using judicial language. So, yes, it is Jean Valjean versus Javert. And then uh, we get Jean Valjean basically having to face himself. Like, he walks into this courtroom and his eyes are immediately drawn to Jean Matthew. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So his eyes go immediately to this man who it seemed to be like looking at himself grown old, which he actually is old, so it's not really fair that he gets to look so youthful. Uh, but yeah, the, the way, like, it kind of feels like it's from Jean Valjean's like, point of view, but he's so like hard on this old version of himself, where he's just like, oh, he's unkempt, he looks wary, you can see that his heart is filled with hatred from the burdens, oh and it's like, dude. Which is why I was looking for the word projecting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he literally thought with a shudder, oh God, am I to become that again? And you're like, dude. Jesus, but also, yourself. <laughs> yeah, this is like basically the nightmare sequence for Jean Valjean, which actually we did recently have the nightmare sequence. So here it is in life for him. Him in this courtroom again, 
the past looming like a gulf before him, and he closed his eyes in horror, crying in the depths of his soul, Never! The uh, Okay, uh, this is because we love some Bible Jesus imagery. The only thing that was different, a crucifix hung on the wall above the presiding judge's head. This had been lacking in the courtrooms at the time of his own trial. He had been tried in the absence of God. <laughs> Which, I don't know if this is... Would his trial have gone differently if he had been tried in the eyes of God, who is maybe kinder? Question mark? Discuss? Well, yeah, I suppose because because with what you said earlier, it's he he has been he was tried in the eyes of the law, not um not um with sort of divine justice, as it were, right? Mm. That feels right. <laughs> It feels, feels right. Okay, so... Oh, but he does take this pause to stop his, like, dread and staring at this older, haggard version of himself to have a little look for Javert, who he can't see, so that's nice to know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then we start getting appearance and reality sort of thing. The way that Jean-Mathieu is described is this mixture of, like, super crazy harsh... And then also them sort of using that to be like, oh, he, look how stupid this man is, but it must be fake stupidity. That like, just, I made like a note of a load of the descriptions of him, uh, Jean-Mathieu being the man who's being wrongfully accused of being Jean Valjean. He looked dull-witted, furtive, conveyed a general impression of coarseness, abject creature who was either profoundly stupid or profoundly cunning like a half-wit in the presence of the keen minds arrayed against him, and like a foreigner in this society that had come to, that had him in its grasp. Confused, oh but God. calculated. Uh, trying to pass himself off as an idiot, that you're like, A, they can't decide, is he dull-witted, or is he super-calculating? But also, it's just like, Jesus, it's, that isn't even all the descriptions of this man, and they're all, like, about that level of just, like, so harsh. Jesus mm. Christ. And that a lot of the um sort of judgments against him and a lot of the court like the cases that is being built against him is based on this appearance of him that the uh the prosecution is making. So we're literally being like, look how dull witted he looks, but also how confused he's pretending to be. He must be guilty. Uh -huh. See, I'm really confused because like you know how before Hugo was really like on it with being like, um, what's that thing? Physiognomy? Physio yeah, yeah, yeah. Physiognomy? Um, yeah, I think it's the, yeah. the criminal physiognomy. And being like, oh, um, you know, you can spot what a criminal, uh, who's a criminal because blah, blah, blah. And you can tell that this person, you can tell that this woman is like uh, a good person because she's so beautiful and yeah. pale and white. Yeah. And then turns around and then does something like this, which I'm assuming is supposed to be a kind of like, anti-criminal physiognomy thing of being like or is it anti i don't know it's not <sighs> it, it is like difficult to say that was yeah reading these three chapters it was i was sort of trying to tell the same thing where i was like oh is he using this to be like look how shitty the court systems are because this is how they're treating someone but i'm also like hugo you're also treating this man like this <laughs> <laughs> And also, like, not just, not just this one guy as well. Like, literally every single person who has turned up in this book has been described in these terms. Has been described yeah. in either you are attractive and good, or you are ugly and and bad. So, so then it's like everyone is described in the like ugly, bad, beautiful, good way, apart from Jean Valjean, who is looking at this guy and being like, "Oh God, I look like him, and he's ugly." Well, I think that is the kind of thing to maybe bear in mind for these three chapters, because, yeah, I couldn't really decide if he was doing this to be like, aha, I've set him up that he could also deserve this, but this time he doesn't. Um, it's kind of, it, it was difficult to get a read on, on that. Yeah, so they kind of list out his crimes, which basically accusing him of having stolen some apples and then 
being realised to be the ex-convict who broke his parole, a criminal named Jean Valjean. Um, and they do bring out the Petit Gervais thing, which I had kind of forgotten about, so I got to be like, all over again. Um, yeah. Um, which apparently was a crime under Article 383 of the Penal Code, which I forgot to look up. Um, but scaring small boys <laughs> is a criminal offence. Yeah, so they kind of do this whole description of this is what he did, blah, blah, blah. Um, this is how... This is how much of a halfwit he looks. Um, was it due to imbecility or to cunning? Did he understand too much or nothing at all? These were questions God. that puzzled the spectators and seemed to divide the jury. So that's sort of bringing it back to this. The, this whole court case is like such a spectacle that uh, that's it gave me the Phoenix Wright vibes because there's so many points of like, and then he said this and the crowd was like... <gasps> How should we feel? <laughs> so it's a lot more exciting than I'm sure I'm going to describe it. Oh, and then, okay, I did really love this. Um, the defending attorney, um, basically his defense, he does it in this like ridiculously flowery language that is basically impossible for his own defendant to understand. Um, and it's like needlessly, um, and it, it is described as... Uh, in that language of the provinces which has long been the eloquence of the courtroom. Uh, now the classic mode, rarely heard except on the lips of speakers at the bar who delight in its impressive sonority and rolling periods. The language which a husband or wife is a spouse, Paris, the centre of art and civilization, the king, the monarch, a bishop, a saintly pontiff. Uh, and it kind of goes on with these just oh like ridiculous... <laughs> ways of speaking that he like absolutely does not need to use it's like for his own and for the prosecutor's enjoyment like this case is yeah. more about them impressing each other and it does it does do these little sides where it's like oh and he had to commend him on how well he'd just spoken oh, and you may be poking holes in my uh defendant but like oh the way you said it was pretty great anyway oh my god um, <laughs> i'm pretty sure as he goes sort of trying to criticize the way that lawyers are. I was just going to give you my favourite uh, one, which is instead of a apple branch, the speaker preferred to call the fruitful bell. Oh my god. Um, I was wondering whether, you know the um, thing where he's talking about him being so ugly and appearing to be dim-witted, but is probably sharp enough to have been just trying to trick them all sort of thing. I wonder if that's mm. sort of um, a commentary on, um, or the thing that I can sort of try and compare it to now, is, you know, the way that sort of especially um, um, minority groups are, um, that is was the easiest one I can think of, is, is like women are both too prudish and too sexual. Like people... Um, people who are in less privileged positions are held up to impossible standards and are sort of failing at both ends of those standards at the same time. I, I wonder whether he's trying to draw attention to that, to because this man is in a um in a in a, a position where people have so much power over him and the way that society at large sees him um is going to completely colour his fate, going to completely colour, you know, whether he goes to prison or not. He, um, Hugo is trying to draw attention to that that way that we sort of see people that we see as criminals, people that we see as um, disenfranchised, as being awful in all the ways that someone can be awful, even when those ways of being awful counteract each other. So I've been watching this Chinese drama called The Untamed or Mordao Zushu and uh, it, it was originally based on a a gay web novel. Yeah. Um, but when, so it's currently on Chinese TV, it's also on Netflix, you should watch it, um, <laughs> you plural general audience. Um, and when they've made it for TV, uh, there are Chinese censors, uh, there are censors, the ship laws, which means that no homosexuality can be shown on TV. Mm -hmm. 
the whole story is about the, these two guys who are in love who will fight like wars and stuff in order to protect each other and they just don't know that they're both in love um, but they are like canonically soulmates and they get married in the novel and they adopt a child in the novel oh so it's God. kind of interesting to see <laughs> yeah they have, it's really cute I mean there's also a lot of like like actual story as well which is wild um, but it's really funny to see how the Chinese drama has translated um, a lot of story when they when they're not allowed to say they are canonically gay. Yeah. Because um, it's a lot of like, oh, it's just two bros being <laughs> bros, you know? You know how you would die for your bro and how you would adopt a child with your bro and how you would live together with your bro and um chill in a hot tub five feet feet five feet apart (laughs) with your bro literally one of the first thing that happens is like in their like friendship is that um one of them is like chilling in an ice cold waterfall spring lake thing and he's naked and then the other one steals his clothes and is like there's a het reason for this definitely (laughs) Um, don't ask us what it is but we promise it's there (laughs) yeah um but yeah, so there's a really good scene um, quite late into the TV show. The TV show is actually about how the main character becomes a villain um, because he gets treated like a villain the entire time. And then um, when they're like, oh, prove that you're not a villain, he's like, well, okay, here's all the evidence. And they're like, well, no, that's not actually evidence because you could have fabricated it. And it takes one of his friends basically explaining, like, there is no way that you can explain to them stuff that they don't want to see yeah and i'm sure it was probably a lot more poignant when the character was actually gay in a, uh, a society where it's yeah. not you're not allowed to be gay yeah but it's also quite powerful in the tv drama as well knowing that there's the censorship over the entire tv show and that like these characters have been censored to be just bros instead of like life partners yeah and the reason that I was saying this was because it is interesting to see, yeah, what you were saying, Grace, about like how no matter what Chant Matthew says, there is always a reason for him to be lying or there's always mm-hmm. a reason for him to be seen as not what he's saying because you can't, you can't explain yourself. You can't, um, you can't rationally explain things to people who don't want to listen to you. Yeah, his, uh, his defender doesn't even uh, try and say that it, he isn't Jean Valjean. It, it literally was like, there was simply the fact that Jean Mathieu was an ex-convict. This his defender did not deny since it appeared to be established. Like, because everyone, they have the testimony of three ex-convicts and Javert because they've had three people be like, oh, he is. Even though Jean Mathieu's here and he's like, I've worked in Paris. Here's who I worked for. I worked for him for this many years. I had a daughter who lived with me. Here's basically my life. But you don't want to hear it. You're saying that I'm confused. Everyone literally laughs at his defense of himself because it's so disjointed. Um, but like, yeah, because they already want to be like, yeah, this you're clearly Jean Valjean. There was no evidence he could have given that they were willing to listen. And like lack of educa- education. It's not like he would... He hasn't been educated. He doesn't know what they're talking about. And he doesn't understand the language that they're using, which is, you know, what happened to Fontaine as well. So Yeah, he literally says in his defense of himself, like, I've worked hard, for like, not for much. My daughter worked hard, not for much. I'm poor and I never had an education. You're, uh, at one point, uh, he literally, like, says to them all, you're wicked. That's what you are. Because they just, no one wants to hear him. They just mm. sort of want to go about their court proceeding the way that they want to do it. The uh, So the prosecutor's whole thing is, like, before he even gets into it, he launches into a thunderous attack on the immorality of writers of the Romantic School, now becoming known to certain ultra-journals of the extreme right as the Satanic School. Um, and it, like, goes on and on and on. Um, to whose pernicious influence he attributed the misdeeds of Chauvemento... Uh, Jean Matthieu, sorry. Um, this, it's such like ridiculous, almost like court drama that this isn't about 
him or his trial almost like it, it's literally them sort of like flexing and peacocking around and then being like oh well like his defense defender was like uh he's clearly stupid uh was he to be condemned for this whereas the other guy's like no look how confused he's acting he must be cunning so he must have done it but before we even get to those parts it's we have the two of them in their own styles flexing the law in this sort of just really dumb fun to read um because it's amusing but then like this is a man's <laughs> life so yeah and it, it comes across like they're just trying to further their own like political aims as it were their legal aims through this going oh yeah it's because of the romantics that's definitely what it was that's definitely not like the thing that i'm currently just really obsessed about and trying to make everything about that because i don't actually care about what's happening to this fucking guy treating it like um a philosophical puzzle rather than as a actual human Mm. yeah and then we get throughout the like spectators uh like reaction shots um so it is very much this like i guess we are also the readers reading this like oh ooh. um so maybe we're also that but like we get how they're all feeling so like people going to court just for the drama of it all has been like a thing since forever wasn't that a, didn't cicero start that yeah. that little asshole I mean, all I can think of actually is, um, like, you know, you're talking about the audience in the court, um, like, showing the um, the reader at home how to react is Japanese TV. Just always having, like, whatever is going on, always having, like, a little panel of, like, four people reacting to every single thing that's happening on the TV so that you know what you're supposed to be feeling when you're, when you're watching it. Like, Smoothly segues back into the book. Well, yes, here we go. When he finished, the audience burst out laughing. Ha ha ha. I, the audience, burst out laughing at this poor man's tragic tale that he just told us. It's really awful. It's literally, yeah, no, it's his, his, he worked hard. He had a daughter. She worked hard. She's dead now. Her life was also awful. Um, yeah. So I don't know if it, if that is, and now we must also laugh because the audience is, or if it is the, like, and people who go mm. to court to, Get the drama of this. You're bad people. Because you feel like they are. After <laughs> reading. <laughs> um, I mean, to date this episode even more, um, the whole, I don't know if you've seen on Twitter all of the stuff about Tiger King, where I haven't actually watched it, but like so many like hot takes on Twitter of like mm. blah, 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 blah. And it's like, guys, you're not a court. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so they keep going back and forward on the, like, are you Jean Valjean? And he's like, no. And they're like, but are you really? No, I'm really not. No. Um, then he has his, you're wicked, that's what you are, and, like, really... Uh, yeah, uh, I'm one of those who don't eat every day. Um, I saw a branch with apples on the ground, and I took it. I didn't... I thought that would be fine. I didn't climb a tree and steal them. Um... I don't know how to say things. I never had any schooling. I'm one of the poor. That's what you don't understand. I never stole anything. Um, I'm not Jean Valjean, basically. Uh, You're very clever telling me where I was born because it's more than I know. Um, Not everyone has the luck to be born in the house, which I feel like is where it really has the... uh, Hugo is picking at the judicial system and people who want to judge him based on the way he looks and the way he's struggling to act under this like immense amount of pressure uh, and accusations Mm, yeah yeah so i think he actually does that quite well like i'm glad he gave him this moment to defend himself uh in this way yeah yeah and kind of being like fuck you guys um you know so much about my past i don't even know this yeah it's really humanizing 
but then of course immediately gets accused of a confused but calculated denials. They're like, how can you be confused but also calculating? How can you be stupid but also cunning? Uh, but yeah, uh, trying to pass himself off as an idiot. They're like, yeah. So it's just more of that sort of stuff. Um, mm. So then they're like, okay, let's bring out Javert to just put an end to this. Javert's not around. But he is a highly respected man for his personal probity and strict performance of his duties, which is the voice I used when I didn't understand a word. (laughs) (laughs) Probity? Well, I can't believe you've uh, you've officially you've officially graced. You've officially done the like, I'm going to say this word. I. I don't know what it means, but I'm going to say it. It means complete and confirmed integrity. Uprightness. Well, Javert and his integrity. (laughs) Oh, here's where I did write in your book, bitch ass, uh, about Javert. um, That when he... So he's not here right now, so he can't give his evidence again. But he did say that this has to be Jean Valjean. Um who was very reluctantly released at the end of his sentence. They were like, very reluctantly, he served his goddamn sentence. Like, yeah. it's time for him to go. God. Javert? Oh my God. Back but that he recognises him perfectly. Um, then they're like, okay, we'll bring out the other three people that he served time with. Um, and here's a little segue. Uh, one of them is called Javert, and he is a rogue but also a man of affairs. Two things that sometimes do go together, apparently. Um, But uh, take that meaning how you like. (laughs) He's sort of a man who likes to make himself useful in the prison, which I think is meant to be saying he may be... He's a snitch. He's an arc. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You both said it, not me. Um, But the almoner reported favourably on his religious beliefs. This, it must be remembered, was under the Restoration. What's the Restoration, you ask? Well, Stevie, (laughs) why don't you teach us what that is? (laughs) Okay, I will. This is, of course, the Bourbon Restoration of 18. (laughs) I wrote the date. Fuck, I prepared for this moment. I prepared so goddamn hard. 1814 to 1830. This is when we've thrown out Napoleon and we've got another Louis on the throne. Uh, I won't go into it super hard now because I'm sure I'll find a way to make it into a proper secondary research episode. But as a teaser, during this period, the Chamber of Deputies felt that Louis was not executing enough people. So something thrilling must happen in that time. Um, but it is also when the power of the Catholic Church was being reasserted. So I guess this is Hugo's, like, oh, for all of you contemporary readers out there, of course they'd love <laughs> that this guy is doing his prayers good. Uh, and that that would sign really well on him. Yeah, so we get basically all three of them ex-con- well, the, they are convicts still who served time with the real Jean Valjean, who sort of trot out and are like, yeah, that's definitely him. Yes, it's definitely him. Yes, he looks dull-witted now, but he looked crafty enough in prison. (laughs) Uh, Oh my god. And also Jean Valjean's adorable little nickname, we used to call him Jean the Crowbar, on account of he was so strong. (laughs) (laughs) So get that into your fanfics. Jean the Crowbar. One of the other Yikes. like translations calls him uh, John uh, John the Jack. So Ooh, that's good. Like, for a long time, I thought that one of his names was just Jack, and I was like, "That's very strange. Doesn't sound very <laughs> French at all." Yeah, John the Crowbar in that book actually makes less sense because earlier on, don't they call him um, a man who can replace a Jack? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good goddamn job. Like, the, honestly, the would not recommend this translation of this novel. <laughs> like, at some point so we're gonna confused. just. Oh, at some point we're gonna give up and get a, a better, a better translation of it. Only after you finally let me oh. do my episode on, uh, like, about 
this translation, which I've had ready since the beginning. But you said we weren't talking about <laughs> translations <fucking> yet. <laughs> okay, next episode we'll do it. We'll do it. Oh, I God, think okay, we're at the point really now where we, yeah, we we've got to the point where we know it's bad. <laughs> where we're allowed to pass judgment. Yeah, exactly. We've been in it for long enough. Yeah, uh, and then we have more of the the prisoner himself. Listen to this with an air of astonishment, which, according to the prosecution, was his principal weapon of defense. So we do have Hugo doing these little asides that, like, I what I'm can confidently say that Hugo do, is uh, throwing some shade at the defense attorney, and I think both of the lawyers at this point. Yeah. Oh, and then the Chamatier is basically like, wow. I'm famous at this point and there was something like a <laughs> roar from the audience in which the jury came near to joining. The case was clearly hopeless. <laughs> like, it is a farce. Yeah, like, I, I almost recommend reading even just these three chapters of the book, if nothing else. Like, these are the only three chapters I've read and they are <laughs> wild. I've loved it. <laughs> and then we're at the end of chapter two and uh, finally, after two chapters, Jean Valjean stands up and <gasps> everyone's like Monsieur Madeleine chapter the next one it's him increased astonishment of Jean Monsieur <laughs> this poor guy like this has been a joke of a court case you- you'd be convinced <laughs> too oh god <laughs> so Jean- well at this point Monsieur Madeleine his hair which had still been grey when he arrived in Arras was now quite white like this has been basically, it has been his living nightmare, having to watch this court case happen. That, yeah. that like, literally the stress of it has turned his hair white. Like, it is very oh sad. Oh my god. <laughs> he was very pale and trembling god slightly. Bless him. I'm so glad we're at the point where um, all of the fan art starts. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. God. Yeah, this is the last chapter of... Book seven, Ooh. and Jean Valjean's gone <laughs> white-haired. Um, and yeah, so we get more of this sort of, well, I called this theme appearance and reality. I don't know if that was correct, but you know, the sort of like everyone sort of seeing Jean Mathieu one way, and they're now seeing Monsieur Madeleine, Jean Valjean, sort of another way that he walks in. And when they heard his voice, uh, <laughs> yeah, the way he gets everyone's attention is being like, he calls the name of the three convicts that he served with. I want you to look at me. And his voice is so grief-stricken, so terrible, it chilled the hearts of all who heard it, that people sort of hear this, they look back, and they almost can't put that voice with the appearance of Monsieur Madeleine, who everyone like knows so well. Oh, He's very respected. Um, yeah, the first stir of amazement was followed by deathly silence and stillness. Uh, yeah, he... He does his gentlemen of the jury. You must acquit the accused. I must ask. I must ask the court to order my arrest. I am the man you are looking for. I am Jean Valjean. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and the, the best thing is that's the first time it says it, right? Mm, it's not curious. Controlled fine. But also, like that last thing. Yeah, that last thing that you said, um, Stevie. Um, about like people finding it impossible to think that, like such a voice of darkness and grief could come from the mayor that they have these really positive associations with. It's sort of a reflection, um, mm. like a sort of a dark mirror of the thing that's happening with Jean Mathieu, and sort of cast that mm. same parallels between Jean Mathieu and um, Jean Valjean, because it's it's a case of no one can see the goodness in this man um, in Jean Mathieu's position, whereas no one can possibly imagine this darkness coming from this this man in this powerful social position, um, who is, you know, mm. Mayor Madeleine, and no one can no one can possibly imagine that he could speak with this much darkness and grief, and that could come from this this person. Yeah, no, they they can't believe like what he's saying that they literally are like the judge with like a lot of sadness is like oh god somebody call the mayor a doctor because something's wrong here this can't be the truth like that's the first assumption is that he's ill and then we get Jean Valjean's 
big moment. What follows are the words he used, the exact words, as they were recorded immediately after the trial, and as they <laughs> must linger in the minds of god. everyone who heard them nearly 40 years ago. Oh my god. <laughs> Has he been trying to pass this off as a historical text the whole time? I feel like we have talked about that. He's not, he did that before. Yeah. He, oh, did he, that. he super is. <laughs> he did that, do you remember when um, Jean Valjean had the dream? He did it like Jean Valjean got up and wrote down his dream and this is what he wrote. Um, oh yeah, God, I forgot that. It's he pretty does thrilling, that every right? so often. Yeah. Just mm. like once every couple of like chapters or sort of like, and remember, this omnis- omni- omnipotent, omniscient person is a historian. Definitely a historian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You are on the point of committing a grave error, whereas I am performing an act of public duty. This man must be released. I am the, that wretched convict. And what I now tell you is the truth, and it is sufficient to me that God is my witness. Uh, and he then sort of lays out the, like, here is the good I've tried to do, blah, blah, the good I did as mayor, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's true that I robbed the Bishop of Dean and that boy, Petit Gervais. You're right in supposing that Jean Valjean was a very evil wretch, although perhaps the fault was not wholly his. It is not for a man so lowly to remonstrate with divine providence or seek to advise society, but the degradation from which I sought to escape is nonetheless an evil thing. I was a peasant with very little intelligence, almost an idiot. It was prison that changed me. I had been stupid, but I grew malignant, like a smouldering log that burst into flame. Goodness and compassion saved me after brutality had come near to destroying me. That's, I think, his big pow part of his speech that I guess is a lot of what Hugo is trying to do with this character, that it was prison that turned him into the man that we saw at the beginning of the book. Yeah. And it was only through kindness that you can help and save someone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it feels like it's sort of oh. concreting a lot of the points that... Um, uh, it's making text a lot of the book's subtext, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and then he gives his sort of evidence of, like, ah, Robert, you had this tattoo, ah, you, you remember me this way, and sort of proves himself that way, that it is, that he is Jean Valjean. And then Madeleine turned to face the court with a smile that still wrings the hearts of those who remember it, a smile of triumph (laughs) and of utter despair. Now do you believe that I am Jean Valjean? That there were no ju- longer judges, lawyers, or gendarmes in the place, but only intent eyes and deeply troubled hearts. No man considered the part he might be called upon to play. The prosecutor forgot that he was here to prosecute. The presiding judge that he was there to pass sentence. The defender that he was there to defend. And most strikingly, no question was raised, no legal authority invoked. It is the quality of awesome events that they seize upon the soul and make all men participants. Certainly no one said to himself that he was witnessing the splendour of a great light, but they were all dazzled by it. So I sort of Mm. skipped over a bit of it, but we get a lot of this sort of religious imagery, I would argue, with Jean Valjean at this point. Um, Yeah. Yeah, sort of earlier on it says the hall was seized with a kind of religious awe that grips a crowd in the presence of a great event. Um, We get sort of like manifest truth manifest enlightenment uh he was invested at that moment with the hint of the divine which causes crowds to fall back in homage um but yeah him sort of speaking his truth that maybe it's not necessarily jesus imagery but we've had some jean valjean and jesus imagery comparisons before uh definitely i feel like we get a little bit of that yeah because so he then maybe then sort of gives that speech and of like, okay, well, I'm going to go. I have things to attend to. You know where I am, so send for me when you want. And, like, nobody says anything. Nobody tries to stop him. The door is suddenly, like, open for him, and he just walks out. No one, like, everyone is so taken aback by him and by mm. this that no one tries to stop him, and he, he literally just leaves. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess he's, like, mm. he's broken this charade that they were performing like they were performing mm. like like you called it a farce earlier um cv there it's almost like they were literally performing a scripted farce um they've got their parts they're they've been you know 
like playing backwards and forwards to each other and he has come in and by telling the truth putting himself at risk he's broken that he's mm. he's he's mm. broken the script he's made it, it he's demanded um that they put some consideration into it that they would have not had to do and um a couple of episodes ago i feel like Maybe it was when we were talking about Orion Akitabiji. I mentioned that Javert and Jean Valjean, after this point, stopped acting as um, uh, convoys for Victor Hugo's like uh, lectures. Uh-huh. Instead of being Javert is the police and the law, and Jean mm. Valjean is the mayor, and uh. like this is the point where they become human. And yeah. Uh, I don't know how much of it I should talk about now and, and later, but like TLDR, one of the points that I liked that I made in my PhD, I was when I was just writing it a couple of days ago. Mm. You can only you can only really do kindness if you are an individual human being rather than acting as like a faceless mayor or as a faceless police officer. Mm-hmm. Because the only way that you can really like understand other people and what their needs are is to not act in like you know gratuitous general acts, but to act like as an individual, yeah. helping a human, and by talking to them and stuff like that. Um, which is why Jean Valjean, Jean Valjean needs to get rid of the Mayor Madeleine oh. in order for him to actually help Fantine. Yeah. Because right now he thinks that he's he thinks that he's helping Fantine by being the like all kindly mayor but he can't actually do anything because he's still trapped in this like generalization of kindness now that he has outed himself and can act as an individual he can now go forward and do a personal good which won't reach as many people but will help Cosette like significantly Mm. The, uh, there can be a lot more discussion about this, but wary <laughs> yeah. that I don't want to go down this um, yeah. road right now. Yeah, I think I think yeah. The, yeah, no, I definitely get you. The, it feels like the difference between um, a a position, a an authority cannot perform a kindness. An authority can only perform a duty. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. while he was, you know, I am the master of hundreds of workers. They all, you know, they all rely on me. Um, he's not. Yeah. He is not performing a kindness. As the master of hundreds mm. of workers, he is performing a duty. It is his duty to look after them. Whereas, as he has stripped himself back to being Jean Valjean rather than Mayor Madeleine, he has made the choice to do the right thing. The choice to make a kindness. Um, and perform a justice which kind of like retroactively puts a lot of what we said about um the bishop because we were like oh this kind man and stuff but he yeah. was always like no this is my duty i never see this as kindness yeah and it, i think we did yeah. actually talk about it a bit the like him being like no this is my duty and this is what people in my position should be doing yeah but yeah, yeah. i think this is jean Valjean choosing the root of individualism rather than as generic duty yeah and i think um it goes sort of it goes that that step further in the thing that we always talk about with um, muriel in that he had held back the candlesticks he had held back the silver um so he had never quite like he never could feel like he had quite done enough because he was always holding back that sense of individualism mm. he was always holding on to the fact that he liked eating with silver um mm. and he transcended that he went almost in the opposite direction he transcended individual kindness and truly became um he truly took on the um de-individualized duty of his position mm. by giving away the silver does that make sense? Have I gone too yeah, yeah. far off the rails, or does that feel? It sounds interesting though, because I I was gonna say that um what truly made us actually care about him was his individualism. Yeah, and uh, um, I, but another thing that I I've been thinking about is how Owari Nakitabichi 
was written for a Japanese audience. Yeah. And currently, well, not even currently, Japan's way of dealing with conservatism has always been individualism, which is why you get, like, Tokyo fashion, like, Harajuku fashion being so, like, individualistic mm. and, and stuff like that. It's, you know, it's always the same with counterculture, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's being so highly individual, whereas recently in British and American politics with Bernie and with um, Corbyn, Corbyn. That's, mm. that's his um, who are openly talking about being um, socialists and all of their campaigns have been about us, not I, and mm. um, we, not me, and all that kind of language of like, we need to join together as a community. Um, and that's what liberalism in the West has become. Whereas in Japan, liberalism is still in the like, you need to break free of conservatism. You need to become individual. Interesting. That like what what we think of in the West, or at least in Britain, in London, mm. I guess, as queer young people, we kind of are slipping into a like, oh, the community kindness thing is the greatest ideal. Yeah. Because that's what, we are so attuned to with liberal thinking. Yeah. Whereas I guess someone who was born and grew up in Japan probably would have a completely different take on it, which I hadn't even like considered until watching Oi Nakitabuchi and and thinking about like what really made individualism such a a big thing in in that adaptation what about um i agree with the things that you're saying but what about um did um drew your attention to the contrast between individualism and um like community liberalism like because i can't off the top of my head i can't think of where that was clearly a theme oh i suppose there were lots of figures breaking out of breaking apart from cultures it's breaking apart it's about building your own family it's about um one of the things i briefly mentioned um was that uh jun baba and saito ryosuke they start with uh kanto kanseiben um and it is tradition for people when they move to tokyo to adopt the japanese standard um tokyo accent Mm -hmm. and one of the biggest red flags that Saito has is that uh, Jun Baba is so willing to uh, drop the Tokyo accent in order to go back to his Kansai dialect when he's feeling like comfortable with himself mm. and um, Saito looking at that and being like you have broken it's not a taboo per se but it's a like convention you have yeah yeah so what kind of person would do that and for him, it means he's a criminal. Mm. But obviously, you know, there's Erika openly saying to her parents yeah. that she has cut them off yeah. as mm. parents. The idea of her and Saito as well, like breaking off from their families and not having the like parental respect. Mm. Not even that. And, and Usui as well, the, the Marius as well. Um, so this is Eponine and yeah. uh, Marius yeah. and Javert, for anyone who didn't listen to the episode, which you should <laughs> slash watch the show. Our best episode, um, the best version. Oh, so good. <laughs> um, the three of them challenge authority and they come out winning and they mm. all live. That was the thing that really stuck with me is that they didn't face consequences for it. They were individual and they were allowed to win from it. Mm. One, actually, uh, one that I don't think we talked about in the episode, which I only caught on my second time watching. So Fua Yui is Fantine, um, and Jun Baba is Jun Vajan. Jun Vajan, Jun Vajan. There is the moment after um, he has found out that she has attempted sex work or is trying to get into sex work. And he says, I can help you start again. You sh- You don't have to be doing this. If you would come for me, come to me for help. I could have helped you. And she says, um, Tada irai nanoni, which means even though I'm just your client. And he is so shocked that she realizes that he's not been talking to her as um as a person, but as a 
what am I trying to say? I don't think that he has realized until that point that just pretending to be nice all the time or, or like being this like idealized human being isn't what she wants. She wants mm. a friend and someone to actually talk to. Mm. And that is the moment where she finally gets like pushed the furthest into isolation because she has just yeah said to him, you are not a person talking to a person you are a lawyer talking to a client. As much as you think that you are the nicest lawyer in the world, mm. as much as you think you are being the nicest human in the world, you are still acting kindness and I can't trust what you say. And I think that was, I think that was on the rewatch, the moment I realized that it was really talking about individualism versus like community duty, mm. because it was really like, he can't do anything to help her if he is not Jimbaba. He can pretend to be as many kind, nice people in the world, but he can never really help her unless he sacrifices that. Interesting. Yeah. I hear mm. That's an interesting theme to um, think about going forward. Definitely. Well, like, for these chapters, he had to become Jean Valjean again mm. to help Jean Mathieu. Like, he, it mm. wouldn't have mattered how good a uh, mayor, how good a mayor he was. Mm there was still more people uh, who would be arguing against him if he if he had turned up as the mayor to be like, no, maybe think about this again. Um, especially when you've got someone like Javert who, as they say, is like so respected. He couldn't have done it any other way except as himself. So I definitely mm. feel like that is what you were saying. Or I feel like maybe he could have. He could have probably have chucked money at it or he could have chucked his weight behind it but then he would have been stuck in this limbo of okay well now they are going to be looking for Jean Valjean again and mm. Javert will be looking at me for the rest of my life yeah um, and there would have still been people who would be like oh the mayor threw money at that but no Jean Mathieu probably is Jean Valjean like there'll always be people who yeah. don't believe uh yeah you get to end this chapter with Jean Mathieu confused but let go and happy about it. (laughs) Some good things happen. God. Yeah. Low one. And that is the end of book seven. Another, another good thing for us. God dang. Hey, do you know what though? What? Tell us what. I think after next episode, we will have finally finished part one of this fucking novel. Holy shit. (laughs) Holy shit. Um, Yeah, wait, I found it. um, Part two, yeah, Counterstroke, book eight. Ooh, we get a dramatic couple of empty pages. Ooh. Cosette. <gasps> We're at the Waterloo shit. I've been preparing oh, for so yeah. long. <laughs> wow, I never thought that we'd actually get past part one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we still haven't, but... Yeah, we haven't oh, yet. that's true, yeah. <laughs> this, this conference call took, like, a billion fucking years. Oh We've God. been trying to record this yeah. episode for, like, three hours. God. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you cut out all the hung-up calls and the 20 minutes of dead air, I think this will be a manageable episode. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, we've got one hour and 45 minutes of recorded footage, but I'm pretty sure an hour and 15 minutes of that is just It's just being, like, nonsense, hello. yeah. <laughs> He- exactly. Hi, Grace. Hi- ha- hello. hello. Yeah. Oh, Stevie's frozen. Yeah. Oh, hello. Yeah. We could. Oh. <laughs> so, for anyone listening at home, the phone call just dropped for the twentieth time, but we had just started rounding out the episode anyway. So I'm going to do this, um, just by myself for the first time. Um, this was a podcast produced by me, Nimu Martin, and Julian Yap. It was a Captain's Collections podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or quibbles, you can email us at lamespodcast at gmail.com or send us an ask on Tumblr at Bread and Barricades or on Twitter at lamespodcast, L-E-S-M-I-S podcast. If you would like to help us out, we have both a Patreon and a Ko-fi. Any amount will help us go to the library, I guess, once COVID lets libraries be open again. Um, But it also helps with things like hosting fees uh, for Podbean. Our audio director is Jade, who you can find at jdwasabi.com. And you can download our beautiful theme from her band camp at jdwasabi. 
If you have a moment, please leave us a review on iTunes. Any of the iTunes of your country would be great. And if you do, let us know by sending us a tweet um, so we can thank you for it. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. We can do, do it. it. Stevie, go do for the, the speech. speech. Just do, it. do it. Do it. Is Stevie here? Stevie. Hello? Hello? Okay, okay. Hit us. Go for, go for the go speech. For Just go.